0: Hello, I'm Christopher Powell, Executive Director of Pittsburgh Festival Opera.
1: And I'm Marianne Cornetti, International Songbird and Artistic Director of the Pittsburgh Festival Opera. Welcome to Unstaged,
0: the Pittsburgh Festival Opera's new podcast. We're excited to share our insights and stories and our hopes for the future of opera from our perspective behind the scenes and backstage. So
1: won't you join us on this adventure as we dive into the wonderful world of opera and all of the facets this gem has to offer all of us. Chris, what a fun show we have in store for our listeners today. I can't think of a better way to debut our podcast than with some of the really special people that are sitting here with us today. Our staff. We have our artistic administrator, Lindsay Lehman. Our director of our Young Artists Program, Rob Frankenberry, our Director of Photography, Ian Crammond, and might I just add, we also have with us in spirit, our Director of Education, Seamus Ricci, and our Director of Institutional Advancement, Roxy Mountjoy, and our Public Relations Manager, Natalie Bensavenga. they We're all here in spirit and in person. Before we get started, I would like to just introduce our word of the month. Each month, we choose a special word. And for June this month, we have the word Accelerando. Now, that word means increasing in speed. The reason I chose the word accelerando is we here at Pittsburgh Festival Opera are in this huge, exciting, daily increasing speed, accelerandoing, ing if you will, to the lead-up of our opening of our season. We are finally getting to that point With our Young Artist Program, which starts in June, June 21st, to be specific. I have waited for this moment since December 2019. Unfortunately, we kind of had run into a little hurdle called a pandemic, but we're finally at the moment where we're able to be in person. Every day we're gaining momentum. Every day seems to go faster and faster and faster. It's like this huge accelerando towards the opening of a long awaited season. It really does feel like opening night. What do you think, Rob?
2: I mean, it's always a roller coaster, and we're on that, we're we're going up the hill and just about to tip over the edge.
1: It's the best part. But we, we as performers, and being in the world of opera and entertainment, we are always on the edge, aren't we? We are always on a deadline. It's always an exciting time. You know, when I think back on this last year, it seems as though it's gone by very quickly. How did we survive? But I think more importantly is... How did we survive and thrive at the same time? For me, it has really been perseverance and the incredible creativity of the people who are sitting in front of us, our wonderful staff.
0: We have seen some of the most creative work at a time of the most stress. Um, Who knew what was going to happen? Um from that one day, March 13th, 2020, we were having a staff meeting from what I recall, um, just all of us sitting around the table. And we kept on hearing about this virus that the last thing we heard about it was that somebody in Seattle had it. And then suddenly it's, it's here, it's in the area. And then everything shut down that day. And we decided that day to, um, let's close the office for a couple of weeks. Let's see how this, uh, um, how this goes. And the word pandemic really wasn't in our vocabulary at that point. And then how the world changed so quickly.
1: Who would have ever believed it would have taken more than a year to get back in person. I can remember that day so vividly. And I said, Oh no, we'll be back in a, you know, a couple of months, or you know, maybe at the latest by July. and to think that it has taken this long it's a it's a moment that I'll never forget. Lindsay, I know you you had conversations with Roxy, is that correct?
3: Yeah, on the way out to the car, we were like, "Oh, this isn't a big deal. We'll just work at each other's places once in a while, and i then by that evening, the city of Pittsburgh had shut down, and we're like, oh, this is serious. It's a real thing now.
2: Rob, what do you remember? I mean, I remember that I was in Texas <laughs> zooming That's in. That's correct. Uh, I was already sort of uh, zooming in or, or calling in to meetings. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think it's also because we work in a business that is oriented around the intensity, the rise and fall of production. Um so that 6 weeks feels like a year because you often cram what uh, a year's worth of work into into a few months even and so the concept of of extending it to a full year was something that I just couldn't even really grasp it was always well I have so much to do right here in front of me that I guess I'll figure out how to do this and worry about the thing that comes next and here we are we've figured out a whole lot of next things
1: in the meantime absolutely Ian, you weren't quite on board with us at that time, is that correct?
4: That's right, yeah. I mean, I was uh, signed on to come back in the summer as the box office manager, but wasn't actually around in the, the company at that time.
1: And why did you come on?
4: Well, as as the necessity uh, kind of drove the company to, you know, moving everything into uh, a virtual setting and, and creating videos for everything, I was, uh, I was brought on to start editing videos. And we we started with... Uh, the famous Cornetti's Candid Corona Conversations, <laughs> uh, which was uh, you know back then we were just kind of shooting everything on your phone, um, and you know we've we've grown since then. But in a the position kind of evolved as uh, the company's uh, digital capacity evolved, I guess.
1: Absolutely, and I remember also the day that we decided to do the Cornetti's Candid Corona Conversation. Who can say that really fast here? Ready? Cornetis, Cornetis candy candy, Corona Conversation. Chris. No way.
3: <laughs> Cornetis <candy> Corona <laughs> Conversation.
1: Oh, we're good. Wise, All man. at one time. Cornetis, Cornetis candy, candy Corona, corona Conversation. conversation. <laughs> oh <dear. laughs> I love yeah, it. <laughs> it. it. <laughs> the <laughs> lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. But I, being the personality that I am, when it shut down and they said we weren't allowed to go out of our house or homes, I started to get like choked feeling. I'm not that kind of personality. And so I thought, I'll just make my car my office. And I was sitting at Starbucks and I said, oh, my goodness, I'm going to do this. And that started with the the very, very uh, novice filming on my part. Uh, And it grew into those those funny uh, conversations. But those funny conversations that you edited, Ian, were really entertainment for people in that really difficult time, weren't they?
4: Yeah,
0: they really were a lot of fun. I think we went from the tadpole stage to the uh, the fully developed um, being very quickly. We did. Man, if we were a fully
3: developed being, then like imagine what we are now. We are like a <laughs> we are an Avenger,
1: apparently. Right. Like we went through. We're the like, we're like Thor, Arons. yeah. Very quickly, <laughs> we are now. At... And I think, really, two of the. The people that were really, I don't want to say affected, that's probably the wrong word, were Rob and Ian. Because when we decided that we were going to do something, that we were not going to go under a rock, that we were going to try to get out there with our young artist program, when we saw that this was taking on a, you know, a, a, a bigger problem, Rob. Walk us through that a little bit. What happened? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I think what happens is that
2: I, I had to rethink uh, the sort of what's the timeline that everything needs, because, of course, there there are lots of things that one can do with technology. And most of the programs have a very, very steep learning curve. <laughs> but also, you know, the the things that we sort of do as singers, as musicians, um, even as staff members together in person, we take a breath together and don't even notice. But when there's no human there in front of you to take a breath with you, you know, I have to think about, OK, so how can I how can I make it possible for the singer to feel like they know what to do next and not feel quite so um alone um, you know, so that took a lot of thinking and probably ramped up my neediness to like 10.5. You can ask Lindsay. I see you're making a, a knowing eye roll over there Never. and it's well deserved, <laughs> you know, and then Never. also turning to Ian and be like, I know that I you know what you're doing and I don't know what I'm doing. So just tell me when I'm wrong, you know, uh, but it was nice for me because it sort of created a whole new set of challenges and forced me to just say, OK, this is what we're doing. And I like it when that happens.
1: When we got into the Oh Wow, uh, our, our young artist program channel surfi- surfing uh, series, we had to make, make it work. So, what did we do? We sent out with the absolutely brains of Lindsay here, looking into our uh, getting uh, lenses and sending to each young artist.
3: The biggest thing that we've seen, I think in all of these iterations of online uh, work is that a lot of people have different cameras and different access. And the accessibility to high quality 4K cameras is uh, not something easily to come by. So uh, we rented, what were they? The Osmo, the Osmo cameras that we sent to everyone across the United States. They had it for 48 hours at most to completely Film an entire scene or two. Uh, so everybody had the same exact camera, the same exact equipment that we could make it look unified and beautiful because it was 4K.
1: And then,
2: Rob, you had to. Well. Mark Trovka and I had to break down each of the scenes and sort of think about them, you know, as a coach, as a as an accompanist, you're already thinking about how do I communicate with the singer and where are the likely trouble spots, where where do I need to know they will stop and take a breath and there's a fermata, you know, a hold put in that isn't necessarily in the score. And then we had to kind of deconstruct that and figure out how can I play something and where do we need to, to say, do this take and then sing through measure uh, 342 and then sing the next four beats on your own tempo and then stop and go to the next track and hit play again. And there will be four clicks that lead you in and then you start up again, you know, and then at the end, edit them together so that it as if they're singing in the same room, even though nobody ever was in person with another person. None of those singers got to sing together.
3: Um, And I mean, I think that was the biggest difference between PFO and a lot of the other online work is that we kind of just accepted, you know, we can't do live singing together. The quality of the audio isn't going to be great, but if we do it this way, we love live singing. We miss it on the stage, but we can do it this way and it's going to be excellent audio. And that I think put us on a completely different path than a lot of the other online work out there.
1: Absolutely. And from the oh, wow, or I should say the Cornetti's Candid Corona conversations to now, Ian, this entire scope of your filming has been an, an, it, this humongous arc of what we've done in a year. Tell us a little bit about your body of work, what you have done in the past year.
4: Sure. Well, every project we do, we kind of just keep growing in quality of the equipment that we're using and, you know, all parameters of the filming, really. And so we've gone from people just taking videos on their phone or getting their family members to film them uh, to a point where we're using professional sound engineers. Um, we're starting to rent, you know, higher quality equipment. Everything, every single time we just keep raising the bar and people are seeing that and they're starting to see that, um, you know, this this company, which is small companies, is now able to produce these just amazing works and be there for singers in a time when uh, the industry has come so close to just shutting down.
1: Well, and I think, you know, when we think of a pandemic and how we did have to really reposition and and be very creative, in all of that really difficult time, there was a silver lining. And the silver lining for our company was the virtual aspect and how we have run with it. Wouldn't you say, Ian?
4: Absolutely. And, you know, this is a a part of this company which, you know, didn't really exist before because it didn't need to, right? You know, we were a, a live performance company. And we've just been able to find that, we can reach so many more people um, by including this, you know, soon we'll be getting back to the stage and we have this whole arsenal of uh, these virtual um, projects to, to, you know, to offer to people who maybe can't come to see us in person or, you know, opportunities for artists who maybe they're not able to come audition in person. But now we, we have this way of, of getting to them and, you know, be allowing them to, to film themselves and send it in. Uh, one of the best parts of this year was the Mildred Miller International Voice Competition. Lindsay was talking about how we're sending out equipment and you know, we're offering this, this accessibility to people so that maybe they don't have that the ability to record themselves and we're taking care of that so that we're uh, leveling the playing field so we're making sure that everyone's voice can be heard you know, just as loudly as, as the next person.
1: And I have to say that was such a success. That's your baby. Yes. Lindsay, right?
3: Yes. The competition's been my baby since 2018. Yeah.
1: Tell us a little bit of the differences between of obviously in person and what you had to hone in all of your skills of your organizational skills, all of those skills, how you made that such a success.
3: Um, it's all kind of just puppeteering and getting people where I need She's them to modest. be. Smallest <laughs>
1: puppeteering, your favorite. I
3: love puppeteering, <laughs> um, but it's it's all of these moving pieces that has to come into an end game together. Um, we have deadlines. We have certain cameras that are due certain places, um, but. It's just a matter of seeing all the pieces on uh, the chessboard and moving them to my will and (laughs) getting other people to move them to my will.
1: (laughs) I would would like to just continue with that, Lindsay, because, Chris, do you remember in the Young Artist Program, the organization that it took for a five-week program, five weeks online, the organization... That it took. And Lindsay, you had a, a huge hand in that. And I'll never forget, we had three voice teachers, coachings, uh, uh, master classes going on, uh, professional development uh, sessions going on, all kinds of things going on. And we did it virtually. And so, how did you do that?
3: You just have to figure it out, you know, like millennials.
2: You the, just, th- the correct answer is magic. That's...
3: <laughs> Wizardry. That's... Uh, you just have to figure it out and uh, you just do it.
1: <laughs> that sounds so simple, but for me, oh my gosh, Chris, you know, Rob, we're sort of all in the area. I'm the oldest one here, but that makes my head spin to think about doing that. Um, and it is, you have been such a, an incredible asset to this staff. Seriously, uh, you all are. And I would just like to ask, what makes this staff
0: tick? Everybody has unique talents, and we're, we're called to oftentimes use those talents and 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 expand on them because we're a small company and we're asked to do things that are not necessarily anything that we either went to school for or have had any experience in doing. We are communicating um, with an audience of shifting taste. and uh, But there's one thing that's consistent about an opera audience and that's passion. People who love opera love opera and uh, and I think that everybody on this staff has a really unique connection to the opera business. And not all of us started in opera. Um, I'll, I'll use me as an example. I'm a French horn player. Um, I went to school for music education here at Duquesne University for as an undergrad. And then uh, I went to the University of Miami to, to further study uh, my French horn. Uh, I was a horn player. I played in the pits. I was part of the pit crew. I was, uh, you know, I was not on the stage. I was under the stage. And, um, but I still found my way to opera and, uh, and my, and have been doing it for a little over 20 years now, but um, I was a music teacher first and then went into administration and uh, and Pittsburgh Opera, our neighbors just down the street, uh, was my first job in opera, and that's where I really cut my teeth in this business. And I'd love to talk a little bit about um, some of those first jobs, maybe that that people had. Like it's so interesting to see where people actually came from. And I'd love to know because we're going to get to that. But I, I want to see Rob. What was your first job? Like what 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 made you you?
2: Oh, I mean. I- you know, I had a paper out when, when, I, when I was in junior high, walking three miles a day, uphill both ways in the <laughs> snow, uh, six days a week. Sunday, we didn't do a paper for the Mankato Free Press. Uh, you know, so I think there's a certain there's a certain thing that you learn when you're doing things like that, which is the paper is in my hands. And if I don't deliver it, the news won't get out. And I'll get angry phone calls. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of... But I think it's interesting. I, I mean, you could argue that my first job was being the pastor's kid in my dad's church, which meant um, learning how to speak to people, learning how to um, communicate, learning how to provide a service. I mean, I remember when I was four years old being handed a microphone and, and you know, reading Bible verses uh, at the Good Samaritan home. Um, for people who may or may not have been conscious that I was there, but it appeared to have a meaning. And so I I think that's why it's so natural for me to just kind of go with the flow of what we're doing. And as long as there's communication and ministering, as long as there's serving people there, that's just what I do.
0: That's wonderful, Rob. And Marianne, what what was the job that really formed you?
1: Well, believe it or not, when I was 16, which was my very first job, I picked mushrooms in the Butler County Mushroom Farm down in the limestone mine. My dad ran the company and um, my brothers and I, we worked there When in the summertime when we were 16. We did that until we went off to college and I extended mine a little bit because I went off to Manhattan School of Music and lasted just the first semester and that was the end of that. And I then worked from January to September. But it if you can imagine that kind of um it's a it's a labor job. It truly is. It's dark. You have a hard hat on, a lamp, you get in a, a crew of eight to ten people, you go down deep into these original limestone mines where mushrooms grow in cold first and then they they get as they grow, they have to make the what they call the rooms warmer and warmer, and they grow and grow and grow. And um, at that point, I had started to sing. Uh, I started to start uh, taking voice lessons at 14, and people started to hear that I was a singer, that I sang. Um, And so they would ask me, Ann sing something for us. I said, no, no, please don't ask me to do that. My dad's the boss. He'll get so mad. He looks at my average every day. And if we didn't make bonus, he, he says, you got to pick faster and make more money. And they said, no, 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 don't worry. You know what? My dad drove around in a golf cart because he, that was the, the fastest way he could he could get around. So um, they said they would set two or three people on each entrance Somebody would pick for me so my average would stay up. They would turn around the or turn over this big aluminum, uh, what they call, excuse the expression, but that's what it's called, a crap can. And <laughs> I would stand on that crap can. There's no business like show business, like no business I know. And I would sing at the top of my lungs in that mine and they would be laughing their heads off. And all of a sudden somebody would say, <gasps> There's a light. Get down. Get down. Okay. Okay. And I would scooch back into my row and start picking mushrooms. But, you know, they gave me the impetus to stand there and sing in front of them. And it really was endearing. Now I see those people and I say, can you believe that you made me do that? And they said, Marianne, it
0: was your first stage. (laughs) And to that we say, no shit (laughs) (laughs) talking. Oh my gosh, Ian.
4: Oh, well, I think uh, the first kind of uh, job that I would have had would have been at a garden center, uh, which was, it was a a nice job, not the most pleasant job, lots of just lifting things in the middle of July and giant bags of of mulch and stone and everything. It did teach me a lot of good work, work ethic and Allowed me to indulge some curiosities. I feel like I'm the I, I enjoy just like learning lots of random things. I'm very proud to say I have my forklift license from that <laughs> job. I uh, Don't know if it's gonna come in handy, but I, I'll still carry it around. Just you in never case. know. You it never might know. come in clutch. Walking down the side of the street. Um, in turn, I think my first job that kind of started leading me down the path to maybe where I am now was uh, the first job I ever had on a film set was just working as uh just as a stand-in, uh which just explain that's just um the person that they bring in uh and they'll they'll watch what the actors are doing and then they'll go in, uh say the lines, do all the actions while the, the camera sets up angles, the microphones, they drop the boom and everything like that. Um I was working, it was on a, a pretty big feature film. And it was just so surreal to be in that position. Have on the other side of the barrel of the lens if this, you know the giant uh, Panavision camera they had the boom guy dropping in the mic and everything and I never thought that I wanted to be an actor but I think it it, it was so important for me just to, like, to learn what it's like for the people in that position um, especially now when we're transitioning for a point for lots of stage actors or performers or singers are now having to be in front of a camera and they may have been doing this for decades but you put them in front of the camera it's a whole new experience and just to, to learn what it's like to be in that position, I think, has, has always been so valuable to me um, now that I'm on the other side of the camera.
0: <laughs> explain a little bit, Ian. We were so lucky to have you um, in 2019 as our box office manager while you were still in school at the University of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. But um, your, your, your major at the University of Pittsburgh is, is like a godsend <laughs> to what we're doing now. Just explain a little bit about that and how lucky we were, all the, how the stars aligned.
4: Sure. Well, so I majored in in film and writing, um, and somehow I ended up at an opera company. One of my roommates uh, was a former intern of Chris uh, from back at Glimmerglass, and uh, just mentioned, you know, hey, Pittsburgh Festival Opera is looking for a box office manager this summer. I was like, whoa, well, that's that's an interesting thing. I'd love to. I mean, I've always been involved in music, and I thought it'd be great just to be. I'd love to be in that setting. Uh, I thought it would just be a job that I would have for a little bit and move on, but then. All this happened and and this opportunity came where I'm able to now combine uh, the love of music that I have and love for singing with what I actually wanted to be doing with my life, which is working in in film and recording.
0: Hey, Lindsay. What? I know you have a a very interesting history. (laughs) And uh, take us back.
3: I started, I mean, I've been performing since I was eight because I think my parents realized I was too dramatic. Uh, So they were like, please go sing something elsewhere. but I went into opera randomly after, uh, there was a recent question that I filled out that was like, why did you decide to go into opera? Uh, because of a psychic in Evanston, Illinois, uh, I was,
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that's
3: cool. What is going on there? Uh, in Between my junior and senior year of high school, I went to Northwestern's uh, high school music institute, Nishmi. So I was a cherub, which is what they were called. I don't think it exists anymore, which is really sad. Um, And I was waffling between going to college for opera or musical theater. So a bunch of us were bored in Evanston, Illinois, and we went to a psychic. And that was one of the questions I asked her. And she said that I would find more fulfillment in opera. <laughs> and so I decided to do college auditions for opera.
1: <laughs> so, have you found more fulfillment in opera? <laughs>
3: Sure. Absolutely. Yes. I have found so much more fulfillment in opera because I still get to love musical theater without like having to be in my brain about it. It's still something I can love purely instead of sitting there and uh, dissecting it all at once. Like I do with opera.
1: I mean, when you think about the array and the vastness of the talent here we are small, but we are mighty. And that's what makes this company, uh, we're propelled forward all the time. And that's why I feel this, this accelerando with all of us. We're getting there. We're getting there. I just want to go back to what makes this company tick. Rob.
2: Well, I mean, I think that you've sort of, touched on it, right? There's this thing of understanding two things. One is serving the art form, which is, you know, that's sort of very high minded, but also understanding that we're asking singers to be vulnerable and that vulnerability extends into a whole lot of our lives when we're in singer mode. And so because we all have that understanding and and are willing to help with that, we are driven to make it safe, make it okay to be vulnerable. And so that leads us to looking at a year of no program, looking at a year of no singing, no is not an answer. There is a way and there's a way to do it safely and within the guidelines. And so we did. We have. Lindsay. Lindsay.
3: What makes the staff tick? I, I mean, it's just awesome that we all are such an incredible team. I know that if I drop something, uh, you know, Robert Ian will be there to pick them, pick it up. And Ian used to always find my keys in summer twenty nineteen. I could always depend on Ian for where my keys were. I would leave them random places. He would bring them to me. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, and it's a comfort knowing that we all work so seamlessly together we all know what's going on and like we're it's very hard to find a a staff like that and it's it's great to be on a team that works so effort, effortlessly together
4: absolutely ian yeah you know i've been thinking and the best way i can sort of get to it is that when someone asks me what i do I can't just give them my job title and I it's the same thing for every single person who works here because it's not like we're it's not an impersonal large organization where you have a title and that's exactly what you do. Every single person here does multiple jobs and is amazing at all of these different jobs, right? And the fact that, you know, we're also willing to to contribute all these different talents that everyone here has and that's what makes it you know it's not just a nine to five it's a calling of, of this is you know what we believe in and this is what we want to produce
1: natalie what do you think makes this
5: staff tick mm. you know what i've really noticed getting to work with a lot of you both on the collective level and individually and in different smaller groups is you both all of you have such a respect for each other and a real understanding that there's a bigger collective vision. And I have always found that the people that I enjoy working with the most, and and this is interesting to say, but I, at least for my perspective, I have not seen a lot of ego. And I know that's a fun thing to say when you're talking about like the arts and, you know, the stars on the stage and all of that. But I really haven't seen a lot of ego. And I always find the, the people that I work the best with and the people that work best with each other are those that they're not interested in being right or being first or being the one that gets to talk the most or what they're interested in is producing the best thing, the best product, the best production, whatever it is. And so I'm very mindful when I get to see that, that I really respond to that. And I see that so much in the Pittsburgh Festival Opera, that there's a lot of, um, driven as a collective to create what is the best and not about me, but about we. And I think that's an important thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I see the same thing. Absolutely. (laughs) I think we can all say that. I have to say, you touched on it a little bit, Lindsay. I don't know how many times each one of you have said to me as a new artistic director, don't worry, worry, Marianne, I have your back. I got you. I got you. And that is a camaraderie that is very powerful and very strong, that we all will pick somebody up if something falters. Oh, no, I'll, I'll, don't worry. I'll help you here. Or uh, if you challenge somebody. I. It is a rarity in this staff that we say no. And if we do say, oh, wait, 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 oh, but then we talk it through. That is the wonderful thing about this staff. The communication between all of us is really wonderful, and that only makes us strong as a unit. You know, um, I I have another uh, question about this company as as it has taken on a new path from the days that you've been here, Lindsay uh, and Rob. My goodness sakes, you've been here for a long time um, that what would be your dreams for this company now? I mean, not just to survive,
2: right? Because I mean, survival, survival is the thing that we've been doing. Right. So, uh, and, and in fact, not as we've said so many times, not just surviving, but thriving, I think um, to stay true to, being a part of the community that it's in um, to support developing singers, not just by putting them in, in a student show, but by putting them alongside seasoned professionals so that that, because that's how we learn our craft is actually school is great. And it gets us in the door to realize that we don't know what we're doing and we learn it by covering that singer, by following that person around the stage um, and really learning what the, how the world goes. Um, so I think my dream would be that it just continues to breathe life into the art form of singing through each generation by erasing the barriers between the generations.
0: Chris, building on what uh, Rob said about um, being in the community is um, is actually having a home in our community, like a real, like bricks bricks and mortar. Let's let's be realistic here. But um, we've been really good at being nomadic, you know, over the years, over many years, in some really beautiful locations and interesting locations. But there 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 comes a time in my in my dream. And it was my dream from the very beginning when I got here in, in early 2019 to actually have our own home, but not just a, you know, like, like a, a building somewhere stuck in, you know, in the city, but here in, you know, in the East end of Pittsburgh, you know, we have, uh, we have a history here of performance here of, uh, of administration here of being involved in this community. I'd love to see a place where we create the future of opera through what rob was saying through you know breaking down those barriers between generations but also breaking down the barriers of what the community feels about opera and how do you make a really interesting space that is really welcoming but also high tech that people can experience opera in different ways in your one facility but people know that this is where you're going to experience Pittsburgh Festival Opera uniquely amongst any other company in the, in in the whole United States. Lindsay.
3: My dream for the company uh, is to continue the work to be a leading, uh, to be a company that leads in diversity on the stage and behind the stage um, that we see all types of bodies, all all skin tones all races all ethnicities in leading roles at the podium uh, at the stage manager mike you know that we continue the work to to be at the forefront of that because i uh, i especially seen the when we did sandriia we had a beautiful uh, a beautiful Cinderella that's not the the blonde that is shown, and seeing a little girl watch it and seeing that she looked just like her just it it really was a picturesque moment showing just how important representation is uh, That a little girl can watch an opera of Cinderella and see not her and see herself in it is was a really uh meaningful moment to me. Like you hear it talked about all the time, but to really see that in that kid was just like a real thing. So, you know, I really hope that that's the, that's my dream for Pittsburgh Festival, that we that we work, you know, the work is never done, right? Uh, In uh, equity, diversity and inclusion, but we continue to do the work to be at the forefront of that.
1: Natalie, you being relatively new uh, with Pittsburgh Festival Opera, you sort of come on here with a clean slate. So now that you're uh, one of the staff, what is your dream for this company?
5: Well, first of all, I just have to say what an honor and a privilege it's been to work with everybody, even in the short amount of time that I have, because I love people with passion and excitement and enthusiasm for the things that they do. And I've not seen that so viscerally as I've seen, even working with everybody via Zoom, you know, over the last several months, it's amazing just to feel the joy that's in the work. And so for me, it doesn't feel like we're working at all. Although you guys might be different from that, (laughs) but I don't feel like we're working. I feel like we're playing. And I always say like my favorite jobs are the ones where I feel like I'm just playing. And so, for me the dream for the Pittsburgh Festival Opera is that other people recognize the play, the joy, the effort, the excitement, the enthusiasm that we're able to amplify the incredible work being done here because I I work with a lot of different organizations. I love so many of the arts organizations in the community. I've always been a big supporter and a I, you know, I used to do theater myself when I was a kid, but like to see it on this level with this pr- level of professionalism is like a whole other thing and to get to be a small tiny part of helping to elevate that work and amplify that work is really meaningful to me because I understand that um, what the work of the Pittsburgh Festival Opera is doing is the work of community and it's the connectiveness of our humanity. And I think in times like we've had in the past few years and particularly coming out of this horrendous year with the pandemic and so much loss and suffering, the joy of the arts and in particular the joy that the Pittsburgh festival opera is bringing to people recognizes in ourselves what we are capable of when we come together and when we work towards a bigger vision and a bigger dream. So my dream is that more people get to experience that dream coming into life. So that's what I love about this, this work.
1: Well, and we love your energy <laughs> and your creativeness. And I said, I have said so many times about this staff We all have come into this staff because of our love for the arts, Mm -hmm. for opera, for singing, filming. We're all here and very passionate about that. Part of our podcast is this wonderful moment where we are having drop the needle. Five seconds is all you get. So you all get a chance. Whoever comes in first, you have to name the opera. And if it's an aria, the name of the aria. If it's not an aria, you have to name where is it from in the opera. Okay. So, Ian, are you ready? Here's our. I'm ready. First Here we go. Drop the needle. Rob. Oh,
2: I'll let Chris go. Actually. No, let no, you your know? hand raised first. Okay, line. I'm I am Sorry, take it was a habit. Uh, I, I I believe that. Um, that is the Triumphal March from Aida.
3: You win. <laughs> what so. do we win? Me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> also, is there coffee. drinks? The yeah. respect. respect. That's respect. I get no respect. Oh, is <laughs> i like cocktails. Oh yeah. Okay, cocktails is a good one yeah. okay. 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 Whoever Co- gets whoever gets the most points gets a cocktail from me. All right. Okay. Here we go. Round Here's two. Here's the second one.
0: that the intermezzo from cavalleria rusticana?
1: No, it was not. Ah, oh this, no. You're wrong. <laughs> Lindsay, I think
3: go ahead, guess, Lindsay.
0: Chance to steal.
3: Uh, was it Tosca? No. Ah. Here we go. Let's
4: listen to it one more time.
0: Oh, it's her Violetta choking to death in Traviata.
3: This is not fair. Rob is going to win. Not really.
0: What, no, not or, no. 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 Well,
3: Who else is
2: right?
0: Opera, just wrong spot. Wait, which not Traviata? Yeah, it is Traviata. But where? But uh, Act Three, Act Four, Act Twelve. I'm so kidding now. It is the prelude. The prelude. Oh.
1: So
2: no. I suppose depending on who's staging,
0: anyway, we can't could, use it could any be of
2: this material. Opera.
1: Yeah, but he didn't get it anyway. <laughs> yeah. ah. You know what, guys? We got to learn our opera a little bit better to do this. Uh oh!
2: You get you get access to this if you give it a certain level on Patreon. Thank you very much. (laughs) Go to our Patreon.
1: Okay, here we go. Next round. We're in deep trouble. Uh. What does that sound like? Seriously? I
0: mean, you know, it's Carmen. Sort of Carmen. Right. Yeah. The Toriador song. See, yeah. I hate Carmen. It is literally I mean, I really just it just having to have done it so many times, I can't believe I didn't recognize it. I just don't like it. Uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? That song is so famous. Okay. It's just
2: we usually don't hear that part. It's like, it's, it no, we the, don't. It was just the intro. That's
0: right. right. Well, right okay. the intro is confusing. Keep going. Like,
4: yeah. All right. Last round.
0: I love oregano and Parmigiano. Yeah. That's we had my to, rep, so yeah.
4: I'm not
2: going to answer it. Wouldn't be fair. <laughs>
0: Um Rigoletto and uh, La Donne Mobile. Oh,
1: there we go. Mamma mia, ragazza, fatto molto bene. Whatever you said, <laughs> I
0: loved it. <laughs> <laughs> she said, yeah, "Chris, you did really up there." So hmm.
1: we have a tie. Well, if we're considering Rob, I think, I think the of the field. Yeah, <laughs> actually, because Rob knew everything. <laughs> it's Not fair. Rob, you get a drink. <gasps> uh, you get a, a drink from me. Oh, from what? Thank you. Yeah?
2: And I will pay it forward. <laughs> I will no, pay it forward. I'm giving you the drink, okay, okay, love. Okay, okay, I'll take the drink. I'll take the
1: compliment. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Absolutely. <laughs> and I would suggest to the rest of you, get out your, drop the needle and learn your opera.
3: Hey, if this was drop the needle on Broadway musicals, I would kill y'all. I think
1: we, I think we should do that. Yeah, we would bring it, bring it. Yeah,
3: I would crush all of you.
1: There she goes. Although I love that part although, of Lindsay. So
2: like, like for 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 Lindsay's version, she pointed out that like she didn't grow up with phonographs, so it would have to be. Hit the random button. Hit the random play button. <laughs> <laughs> hit the shuffle
3: button. <laughs> yeah. Hit the shuffle button. Sorry.
2: See,
0: I can't even That's talk. true. Oh
3: like, god. Like what
0: do you do with this rotary dial? <laughs> Ian I, I have do know to that. Ask...
1: I do know that. Ian, I have to ask you, did you know any of those? I knew
4: Rigoletto. Not the name of it, but you know The uh, Parmigiana yes. part. Um, otherwise, we, no.
3: But it's different. <laughs> I think like, I like, it, like could you do know well it. with the Broadway. Bring it. Let's go.
4: I'll take that challenge with Lindsay.
0: Okay, all
3: right. Let's go. We Next will one. do that challenge. Well, Next
0: you, one. You actually have to do the. Uh, you have to create the playlist. Oh, fine. You're so great at oh, it. Fine. Let's go. I can guarantee there will be no deer heaven.
3: Well, <laughs>
0: and I think there will be no
3: Patrick and Paul.
1: <laughs> actually, to make it really fair, I think that each week, each month mm. we should have somebody change. Okay. Because then it's fair
0: yeah then i don't look like an idiot every single month that's a good idea
1: i could possibly look like an idiot too believe me there are a lot of operas that i might not know (laughs) great okay rob frankenberry is the winner for this month's drop the needle i am victorious that's it
3: I mean, none of us are surprised. <laughs> <laughs> like, I knew I was going to lose. Actually, <laughs> like... actually,
2: if I was in voice, I was in Vittoria, Vittoria. <laughs> Name
0: that opera. <laughs> actually, no.
2: actually, Otello.
0: Oh, no. Oh, no. I thought <laughs> it was.
1: Okay, never mind. There's an... It happens a couple. Of, there, there are oh, sure. several that it occurs in. And I was gonna. I thought you were gonna go to Vinge. Yeah, I was gonna. I thought that yeah, was more yeah. name yes. that opera. Turandot. There you go. Everybody, we're getting everybody on that. That's the
3: <laughs> win.
1: Wasn't this fun? Dropping the needle, showing all of the staff how much we do and don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you've been listening to Unstaged, the Pittsburgh Festival Opera's brand new podcast. We had so much fun doing this today that we have so much to talk about that you're going to get a bonus episode this month. So stay tuned, and we'll let you know when that comes out. Thanks for listening.
4: Unstaged, the podcast, is produced by Natalie Bensavenga and is engineered and edited by Ian Crammond. For more episodes, information on the Pittsburgh Festival Opera's upcoming season, and access to digital content. Visit pittsburghfestivalopera.org for more details.